Okay, now does everyone have a study sheet? We good. Are we good? You're the new Tommy. Thanks. All right, can you guys turn to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. Okay, I wanted to do this last week, but Aaron took so long with his announcement. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was both of us. It was both of us. <laughs> so if you guys... All right. Let's bring it in now. Time to bring it in. We good? Okay. This side of the paper is where I need you. The side that says single focus real big at the top. Single focus. Acts chapter 17. Okay, I wanted to go over this last week, but honestly, time didn't really permit. Um, so tonight, we are doing it. And uh, if we get through the question, we get through the question. So... Uh, since we had some seniors move up here into the singles with us, we did this, um, I don't know, within the first few weeks of, of Claudia and I coming into this ministry, and I thought it would be good to just hit these things again uh, fairly briefly, but why are we here, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, we get to come together, we have fun, we get to fellowship, and that's all good, but it's not the only reason we're here. That, that wouldn't be a ministry. That would just be buddies hanging out. So uh, just on this side of the paper, if you would look first, our ministry here, single focus. This is why we're even here. So the singles ministry at FBCJ exists to help singles discover the answer to these and other life-defining questions. Who am I in Christ? What does God have planned for me? Who does God have for me? And where do I go from here? And, you know, anything of the like. I mean, that's why we're here. And if there, we've, we've told you guys, if there's things that we don't necessarily cover in a lesson, your leaders are here to minister. There's nothing that you, that you can't call us about or talk to us about or anything. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. Because you know what? We were all singles at one point, and we were trying to navigate this crazy world. I was doing it as a, as a lost person, so things were a little different, a little rockier for me than hopefully it is in your life. Um, that you aren't making the same decisions that I was making at your age. But this is a ministry. This isn't just people hanging out. We're here to build each other up. We're here to help each other. So we accomplish this by, and this is on your paper, by surrendering all that we are to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, realizing that in Him, in Him alone, we have life direction, purpose, and we're created to be unique by Him. Can I get a volunteer for Acts 17, 27, and 28, Ty? He's not there. Can I get another volunteer? Travis, now, uh, just let me put this out there. If you're going to volunteer, make sure you're actually turned to where we're reading. I, Appreciate I, that. I, I know. I, I, not you. I was talking I'm about someone else in this room. I'm not going to say their name, yeah, right. but it's somebody else in this room I was saying that about. Just, Travis. Okay, got it. 27, 27 and 28, please. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Okay, that we should seek the Lord, that if happily, I actually love this whole passage of scripture, but that's not what we're going over tonight. But, you know, I get this sense that, that we are, we're like, we're blind. And we're feeling after Christ. I mean, even when we're saved, sometimes doesn't it feel like we're blind? Like, we feel like there's decisions in front of us, and, and we feel like we're praying and praying and praying, and we just feel like we're not getting an answer. 
Well, sometimes we're, I don't know what we're waiting for in all honesty. I feel like we're waiting for like some audible voice or to open up the Bible and it to basically just say, yes, this is what you should do. But you know what else God uses and God has used in my own life many, many times? What he uses most in my life? Other believers. Other believers that have a different perspective, that can stand outside of a situation, or maybe that have even gone through a similar situation or the same thing, and you can get advice from them because they have good biblical counsel because they've already lived it. Or they've been very close to someone who's lived it. Right? Because it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. So we gotta, we got to offer it up to Him, but that's part of this ministry. We need each other. And next, we do this by providing opportunities to serve God in the local church. By joining God where he is already at work, you can discover what God has planned specifically for you. Let's turn to John 26. Is that? Nope, 12. 12. Yeah, good luck. Tell me when you guys get to John 26. Am I right? Right? Okay. John 12, verse 26. <laughs> I get another volunteer to read that, please. Not you, Jordan. Okay, if any man is going to serve Jesus, let him follow Jesus. That where he is, there the servant will be. We join Christ where he's already working. We're in an established local body of believers. He's clearly already doing a work here. So we're joining together here as like-minded people at a similar uh, station in life, trying to move forward together. So that's what we're trying to do here too. We need to be serving each other within our midst, and even outside of our midst, to our body, and then outside also of this church. But we need to be serving each other. And, um, man, this is just, it really is the best place to do it. What better place than where your best friends in the world are, (laughs) right? That's why we're here, to pick each other up, because this life is hard when we have friends, when we have people that can pick us up. It's impossible when we don't. It's really impossible when we don't, you know? And it, it seems like... As a society, you know, I, was, I listen to a lot of stuff on uh, podcasts or, or YouTube videos and things, and something that, that it really did strike me that, that uh, I'll be quoting someone, I don't know who they are, <laughs> good luck. Um, but they said, you know, we live in a time where we've never been more connected to each other in the world. And we've never lived in a time where people are more lonely. And it's crazy. It's because of the way we're connected. It's not real. Right? This, I'm, not, I'm not up here to bash social media. I could care less. Obviously, we use it. I think it can be used as a good tool, as necessary. But the problem is, when we begin forming relationships that way, they're not real. People don't have someone they can actually talk to or actually go to. And people are lonely. They don't have to be lonely. You know, think about, I mean, just look at this room right here. This, this singles group is, like, totally organic. It came through this church. We're not out there passing out flyers to get people to come into the singles group, are we? No, it's people that have come through this church, this body. And we don't need to put out flyers because you guys befriend people and you share Christ with people and you bring people and you've done a good job. And we need to keep pressing on in that regard because that's another way that we're going to serve the people around us and then bring more people in to do the same thing. It's not about big numbers. I could care less if we stay this physical size. I want people to be deep. And the deeper we go, 
the more people we're going to lead to Christ and the more people that are going to come through the doors that are also going to grow deep with Christ. So next, how we do this is focusing on our individual walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing Him to build us into men and women of godly character. This is first and foremost, because in turn, this relationship equips us for a healthy marriage if marriage is God's plan for you. If you don't get your walk right first, forget it. Forget it. Because let me tell you, it's hard. You want to testify? You too want to testify? Marriage is hard. It's hard. Even do it trying to do things the right way, trying to do things biblically, it's hard. So you've got to get yourself right first. And that's got to be your main focus. Because if you are right with the Lord, it's going to start making that relationship right. It's going to be easier to work through things when your relationship with Christ is right first. And you understand who you are in Him first. And next, practicing biblical friendship by honoring, serving, protecting, and loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there. Ty, I'll let you read this one if you want. Until you get there in time. (laughs) Philippians 2 verses 2 and 3. Okay, he's saying, don't let your own pride get in the way, right? He's speaking to a body of believers, and it's easy to get strife. I mean, there's a lot of people in here, and I mean, we're a house of four, and we don't get along every day, right? And so you get a room this size, you get people this size. I mean, we can be real, right? Claudia. Everyone's like looking at Claudia. No, Claudia. All right, it's always my fault. That's what you want to hear. She's being very nice. That's yeah. Here's the point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that better not be the only thing you amen tonight. Um, it's just the reality of things. And this is why this is a good prescription for a body of believers. Is don't let things be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. That requires bringing yourself down to esteem others even better than yourself. And it's hard, but that's the mindset. And if you would work through this, this chapter, it goes on to say that this, is what the, this was the very mind of Christ when he came, mm-hmm. is to bring himself low for others, to esteem others better than himself. He brought himself low. So don't let anything be done through strife or vainglory, but practicing biblical friendship, honoring, serving, protecting, loving one another like brothers and sisters, like older brothers and sisters that get along, not like little kids. So, and then next, by holding each other accountable in areas of our personal walk and moral purity. Don't turn to Galatians, but Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's how we ought to be treating each other, picking each other up, holding each other accountable. And, you know, it's hard to admit that we have faults. It's hard to admit what they are. But having at least one person that you can be completely transparent with is very, very critical to your Christian life. I understand, like, clearly there are things that that if you're struggling with, you're not going to stand up in front of this class and just give all the gory details about it. And you shouldn't do that. That would be stupid. But... 
You need someone, you need one person that you actually can confide in and not worry that they're going to go blab to the world around them or start gossiping about it, but that you can actually trust that wants to keep you accountable and help you in your walk. You need that. What better place to find it than here in this midst, in this body of believers where we do believe the same things and we have the same goals in mind. And then next, finally, by providing regular iron sharpening iron opportunities by meeting together for Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. And you guys are familiar with Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpeneth iron, so doth a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Right? And that's how it is. And I, I actually really love that example. Because when you sharpen iron, what happens? What, what do you get? You get sparks. There's heat. There's light. And if you rub iron against iron, do you know what ends up happening? Well, it definitely gets sharp. Good looking out. It also becomes magnetic. Becomes magnetic. So when iron is sharpening iron, there's a magnetism there. Because again, it's about him. It's not about, well, I like this, I don't like that. It's not about any of those things. It's about Christ, and that's how we can bond together. It is. It's magnetic, and there's, there's light there, and there's heat there. We were joking about it Sunday. seems like anyone that teaches, right, anybody that stands up in front of a room and teaches, they're like, they get done teaching, they're dripping with sweat, and it's hot and stuff. And, you know, they said when you eat real food, right, it creates energy. It warms you up. And they said, well, what if that's happening spiritually? And that's why the teachers are always so sweaty. I'm like, huh, never thought about it like that. Because we're eating spiritual food. So, providing that, though. Yeah, that was way off topic. Sorry. Okay. Good. Don't worry, we're going to get to the question, so we're good. <laughs> but that's why we're here. We're a ministry. We're a ministry. Not a group. We're a ministry. And unless we're operating this way, we, we, become, we, we get dangerously close to becoming just a group of people that are hanging out together. And that's good, but we need to be doing that outside of here. Here is where we come together. Here is where we get strong. Here is where we get sharp, and we sharpen each other. So that's why we're here, and that is the single focus that we have. So now let's go ahead over to the other side of your paper to get to the all-important question. The Lamb's Book of Life versus the Book of Life. Are they the same? Are they two different books? Let's, uh, let's dive into the scriptures. So first, we have the Book of Life. We have the Book of Life that shows up in Scripture, uh, not always in that exact terminology, Book of Life, but it does show up. So the Book of Life, all, all is your blank, all people are written in this book. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. And can I have someone read 19 and 28? You already read Ty. Scott? Uh, just so you know, verse 19, that's basically just to set the context of who David's talking about in the psalm. Then verse 28, that's really the, uh, the impetus of, of what we're talking about here. So 19 and 28. Uh, thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine advisories are all before thee. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. 
Okay, so we saw in verse 19, David is praying this prayer to God, and he says, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before me. So he's talking about people that are his enemies, right? These are his enemies. And then he works through this whole thing to where we end up down here at verse 28, and he's saying, Let them, the adversaries, the enemies, be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So if he's saying that the adversaries of Israel, the enemies of Israel, can be blotted out of a book of the living, then that means that the lost are written in this book, right? And he says, don't let them be written with the righteous. So the unrighteous and the righteous all exist in a book, right? The, and it, what does he call it in verse 28? What does he call it? The book of the living. Clearly, this is the book of Life, it's the book of the living. And then Philippians 4, 3, Paul is talking just about believers here, but we see that names, in fact, are written in a book. And he said, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So he's talking about believers. David's talking about unbelievers, enemies, the unrighteous being uh, blotted out of this book of life. So that takes us right to your next point. After all people are written in this book, in the book of life or the book of the living, names are blotted out. Names are blotted out at death. Names are blotted out at death. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32. Katie Peters, do you want to read this? 31 through 33. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O these people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods from gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Okay, so you guys should, you're probably fairly familiar with this story, right? Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the commandments of God. He's been gone for a while. The people start murmuring. They're like, where did this Moses go? Did he just leave us here to die? What's going on? So, uh, hey, Aaron, can you make us a God to worship? So, not you, Aaron, different Aaron. It was a different guy. Um, so he takes all their gold, all their earrings, their bracelets, all these things. He melts it down and he makes this golden calf. And that's what they worship. And then Moses comes down. He's, he breaks the Ten Commandments. And that's when he comes down. And he says uh, that the people sinned a great sin. They made them gods of gold. And now he's praying to God. He says, if thou will, forgive their sins. And if not, blot me out of the book of the living. So names are blotted out at death. In Deuteronomy 9.14 again, God is frustrated with Israel again, the whole nation of Israel. And he says to Moses, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. Let me blot them out. And you know what, Moses, I'm going to start over with you because they've all let me down. So names are blotted out at death. Next, those that overcome the world remain in the book of life. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 
3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. I get a volunteer for that one. Looks like it's you, Ty. You gotta raise them higher, I can't see. He that overcometh and the same shall be clothed in the white rain. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, so those that overcome the world, we see that here. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Those that overcome the world remain in the book of life. So who are those that overcome the world? You don't have to turn there, but First John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, here's what John had to say. He said, for whatsoever is born of God, what does that mean? Born again. That's right. Born again. Christians, believers. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So what it's saying here, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, he that overcomes, he will not be blotted out. Who are those that overcome? Those that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Those are believers. So believers are not blotted out of the book of life. Next, those delivered through the tribulation also remain in the book of life. Don't turn there, but Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Clearly he's talking about that book of life. And we're talking about Israel here. And if you study out the scriptures, what part of Israel will be saved? What part of Israel will believe and come through the tribulation and be saints? It's a fraction. I'll point you that far. How many? I think I heard a whisper of it. There's 144,000, but I don't know what that is. That's different. One-third? That's it right there. One-third. So think about it. There are Israelites, there are Jews in all nations scattered across the entire planet. The homeland of Israel is full. I mean, we're, we're talking millions and millions and millions of people. One-third is going to make it through. One-third that will actually trust Christ, that will actually follow Christ and flee to the wilderness and avoid the Antichrist and do everything it takes. They will be found written in the book. And that is the book of life. So we're still dealing with the book of life here. Next, let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And this one, this is the one that really should give us chills. This is the one that really should make us think, what are we doing? What are we doing out in the world out around us? Because this day, we, we read it like a story. We read it like it's fiction. We say we believe it, but we don't do anything about it. And I'm included in this. I fail all the time. But when we read through this, you got to understand, this is the worst thing that will happen in all of history, to a large, large number of people. 
It's the worst thing that's ever going to happen. And it's just the beginning of it because it lasts forever after this. And here we find the book of life. So Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Can you even begin to fathom it? Think about this. There's a great white throne in heaven, and all those who didn't accept Christ are going to be there standing. And it says from, from God's face, from Christ's face, the earth and heaven flee. What's there? It's the throne, it's God, and it's all the lost. And that's it. Suspended there? I don't know. He's God. He can do what he wants. But there will be nothing. There will be nowhere to hide. There will be nowhere to turn. We talk about this reverence we have for God, or maybe even this fear we have for God. You ain't seen nothing yet. These people, can you imagine the terror the people that talked real big while they were here on earth. They wanted to blaspheme Christ. They wanted to drag his name through the mud. That I'll tell you what, standing on street corners preaching, I've heard some of the most heinous things people are going to say about Jesus Christ right to my face. And they're going to be standing there at this day to give an account for all of it. And there's no heaven. There's no earth. There's just them, God, and a great white throne standing there. And this is the destination of every person unless Jesus Christ steps in and he becomes that advocate. Unless Jesus Christ is standing there in defense to where they don't have to face this judgment because they won't be blotted out of the book of life. They'll be in the book of life. They'll be Christ and they won't have to stand here for this. Because then next, verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, uh, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, if you die in your sins and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, your name is blotted out of the book of life. It is blotted out at that point. The point on your paper here, the final, final is your blank. The final judgment of man because this is it. What we just read, this is it. What comes right after this? comes right after this. I think I heard it. Yeah, all that. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, eternity. This is it. This is the final judgment of all mankind, all principalities and powers. It's done. Finished. This is it. This is the final judgment of man. And it's done out of the books. Plural. Books is your blank. The books and the book of life. So what are the books? The books, your next point, are the Bible and a book of remembrance of sins, transgressions, iniquities, etc. In Psalm 51, verses 1 and 9, is David praying, 
right? Uh, Psalm 51, the infamous psalm after David has sinned with Bathsheba. This is a psalm of repentance. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So you see, a name can be blotted out somewhere, but also your transgressions, your sins can be blotted out of somewhere as well. He says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. In Isaiah 43, he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Sins get blotted out. Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Well, when is that? The times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord. When is that? The second coming of Christ. Your sins will be blotted out if you have repented and converted to Christ. Deuteronomy 29.20, the Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. And the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. Colossians 2.14, this is what happened when you and I got saved. And I love this verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, there was handwriting of ordinances that were against us and contrary to us. What, what are the ordinances that would be contrary to us and would be against us? Where would we even find such ordinances? Anyone? How do you know that you've broken God's law? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments and... The entire Bible? (laughs) The whole Bible! That's the handwriting of ordinances that are contrary to us because we are sinners. This book is perfect. This book lays it all out. What does Peter say in 2 Peter? He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. The books that the lost are judged out of, it's going to be this remembrance of their iniquities and this book. This will be the standard that God will say. Here's what you did. Here's what I said. Here's what you did. Here's what I said. But the day you accepted Christ, all these ordinances, they were contrary to us. They were against us because we are born sinners. But the day you accepted Christ, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against you and contrary to you. Not only that, he took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. It's gone forever. I love, I love that in Isaiah, he says, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Why? Why? Because of this. Because he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What did he do it with? What did he blot your sins out with? The blood of Christ. Well, what covers red handwriting against you? The blood of Christ. That's how he made it white as snow, because red covers red. It was his blood that blotted that out for you and I. And then in Ecclesiastes 12, that there is in fact this book, that there will be this remembrance brought to people. Ecclesiastes 12:14, For God shall bring every work 
into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God is going to bring all these things to their remembrance, all their works. You, believer, you will not be judged based on your works in terms of being cast away from God. You've already been bought and paid for if you've accepted Christ. Your works will be tried in fire. Some will burn, some will make it through. But you yourself will be saved. These people here in Revelation chapter 20, that's it. That's it. They've been blotted out of the book of life. And that's what we find of the book of life. So I want you to notice too, Revelation chapter 20 this ends time as we know it. Time is over at this point, right? And all these references to the book of life, they show up from Revelation 20 forward into time, right? Or backward into time, forward Bible, the other way, <laughs> that way. Now we're going to find the Lamb's book of life. And it truly only shows up in that exact phrasing one time, there's another one we could say, and we're going to look at it, that it, uh, it, it says the, the book of life of the Lamb is how it shows up. But really, this Lamb's book of life, in that phraseology, only shows up in the millennium. It's the only time it shows up in your Bible, in the millennium, in that exact phraseology. So the Lamb's book of life. What we find is those who worship the Antichrist are no longer written in the book because they have taken the mark of the beast. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, verse 8. And this is where we can start to form this. It's, uh, like I say, it's worded a little differently, but I think we could say it's the same book, and it may be the same book. So Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names, and the him would be the Antichrist, the beast whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And then verses 16 through 18, they say, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name, Herein is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So those who have taken the mark of the beast, their name is blotted out. And you may think, well, is that contrary? Because they're still alive. They haven't died. But when we study scripture, that's a sin. And at that time, right, don't freak out. We're not going to be here. You can't accidentally take the mark of the beast. This is a thing that people willingly do. But when they do, that's it for them. They will be fully engaged in the work of the Antichrist. Right? And when we read 2 Thessalonians, it says that uh, those who rejected the truth right, while the church was here, they will receive a strong delusion from God that they should believe the lie, whatever the lie of the Antichrist will be. And they will take that mark and there is no coming back. And he says in verse 8 that all they that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So their names are not written in the Lamb's book of the life, the Lamb's book of life, the book of life of the Lamb. 
that's important, see how it's worded. Their names are not written in the book. Does it say they were blotted out? No, not written. So, I believe that names are removed from the book of life at death. And what does death mean? I know it means dead, it means not living, but if you study out death, it has a pretty key element to it. Separation. Separation. Death is separation, right? Ephesians 2, 1. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, well, were you actually dead? No, you were dead in that you were separated from God. Dead in your trespasses and sin, but he hath quickened you by his spirit. He has brought you back to life through his spirit. Death means separation. So names are removed at death. Death means separation. Those that receive the mark have fully given themselves to the power of Satan and have chosen eternal separation from God. They've chosen eternal separation from God. That's why their names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Next point in eternity. In eternity, there will be the Lamb's book of life containing those who trusted in Christ. Go ahead and turn back to Revelation 21, verse 27. Revelation 21, 27. And this is talking about New Jerusalem and, and basically who, who gets to come in. In verse 27 it says, And there shall in no wise enter into it, New Jerusalem, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there it is, the only time the exact phrase shows up in the Bible. So in eternity, this is eternity now. We've seen the final judgment of man. That was after the millennium. That was everything. We're well into eternity now. And now we see this Lamb's book of life. So in conclusion, and this is where I land, and I will just put this up front. I don't... There are people that believe uh, both ways on this, that they are one book or that they're two books. People can make a case either way. Here's where I land, primarily based on the wording out of Revelation 13. But I believe that these are two different books. I do. That the book of life and the Lamb's book of life are two different books. It appears that names are written in the Lamb's book of life as they call on Christ. And my opinion, this isn't doctrinal, this isn't, here's a verse reference, is my opinion is this will be a pure record for all eternity of those that are God's children as the book of life has been defiled by the names of the lost being blotted out of it. That's personally where I stand. I believe that they're two books. And mainly because it says, like I pointed out in Revelation 13, it doesn't say that their names had been blotted out of the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It says their names are not written in it. Other times we see that names get blotted out of a book. Well, here when we get to this book of life of the lamb it says their names are not written in it so personally i believe that because names were blotted out that that book had been defiled by the names of the lost and god had to blot names out of it that that is not the lamb's book of life i believe that the lamb's book of life is a pure preserved book that has only believers in it with no names blotted out at all so the book of life versus the Lamb's book of life. Any questions, thoughts? You guys have been so ridiculously quiet. I imagine that you don't have a lot of questions. I have a question. Um, 
question. Just yeah. like when we're talking about the mark of the beast and everything at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I just missed it, but I don't really understand how that plays into it. Because then also at the end, they, it says there's people that are like, they talk about people cutting off their hands, like plucking out their eyes. And well, so and I that's don't a, know how it links. Right. That, that's a doctrinal view of that. Um, personally, I don't know. I, I've heard that taught, but I've also heard it taught. Consider where Jesus said it. It shows up in Matthew, which is very what in nature. Who's that written to? The Jews, the elect of God. So I don't know that that would only apply to the Jews or not. I don't know. But we know at that time is when the temporary blindness of Israel will be lifted. And even uh, Paul refers to it as a temporary blindness in Romans. And in first, first or Second Corinthians, he refers to it as a veil over their heart that will be lifted at that time of the tribulation. So I have heard it taught that way. I don't know of anyone that stands so hard on it that they would say it's absolute fact. But I have heard it taught that way that that's why Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Or if your eye offends thee, pluck it out, because you can take the mark in your hand or your forehead, and your eyes are in your forehead. So maybe it's some kind of retinal thing or some chip implant that if they get it, they might have to pluck their eye out to be saved or get their hand cut off. But like I say, I've heard that taught doctrinally, but I don't know if, if anyone really stands hard on this is absolute fact. They'll be able to do that and be saved. Okay. Maybe they do. I, I just don't. didn't understand how, like, it would... Sorry, I don't mean to... Like, no, you're fine. You're I totally fine. fine like, just, but, like, I just don't understand how, like, it will... Their names... I mean, I guess I've always heard it growing up that, like, if you are in the tribulation and you do get the mark, like, you cannot go to heaven. Right. But I just don't really... I've never actually, like, read it and seen it. Right. There. Honestly, I didn't study into that before teaching okay. this. So maybe I can find something out and see if people have a good... I don't good... Like a question. That's okay. The box is closed anyway, Katie. You're going to have to save it for next year. <laughs> um, no, but I've not, I've not really dug in too deep either to see. I've heard it and it's been like, oh, that's kind of neat, but I've never really dug in deeper to see if there's any weight to it. So, um, But in that event too, you've got to balance that with the fact that there are going to be people that it says God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they won't be able to see the truth at that point. So who's he talking to or about, or it's, I don't know, it's not, I've not seen it clearly to be able to pinpoint who is that to, who is that about. Personally, I don't know. Anything else? Jen. Um, what do you mean? Where would they fall? I believe that they would ultimately be in the Lamb's Book of Life because that's what, uh, when you get into the book of Ephesians and it talks about how Jesus uh, descended into the lower parts of the earth and led captivity captive, ultimately he died for their sins as well. So I believe that they would be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Also, tribulation Jews are in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what we read in Daniel, Daniel 12. So I would believe that Old Testament saints are in the Lamb's Book of Life that we're genuinely saved. So, anyone else? All right, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you.
for your word. Thank you for, for just showing us these things because though this question could seem not insignificant that the question is, but that you have a book with names recorded in it. I mean, you're God. Do you need a book? But what I get out of this is that you love us so much that you wrote our names down. You wrote them in a book. You're God. You know us. And we know you don't need it. But it's just another way that you show us you care. And not only that, but you've blotted out our transgressions that were against you. You blotted out our sins. And you nailed them to the cross. We can't fathom that sacrifice. We talk about it. We try to understand it. And we believe that you died for our sins. We believe that Christ hung on that cross and that I am forgiven because I trust in Him alone. But I don't really grasp it. I can't grasp that kind of sacrifice. So thank you for showing us that way. And I pray that we would strive toward you every single day in your spirit, walking toward you, toward the work that you have for us, that one day you are going to show us that book that has our names written in it. Because we're precious and we're important to you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.